Will you please turn with me in your Bibles this morning one final time to the passage that we have been considering over the last several weeks now, found in the Apostle Paul's Epistle to the Romans, chapter 3, beginning with verse 21 and reading through verse 26. Romans 3, 21 through 26, and you can find that passage on page 1106 in your pew Bibles. We are continuing to look this morning at the doctrine of justification that the Apostle Paul so clearly lays out for us here in this letter to the Romans. And today we are finishing up the fourth of four sermons on this critical section of not only just the epistle to the Romans, but really a most critical passage for us to understand in all of sacred scripture. And beloved, I trust by now that you see why I would say that this is such an important passage in the Bible. Paul has been giving to us here in this letter the full and glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that we need it. We need it like the very air that we breathe. It's truly water for a thirsty soul and it is precious nourishment for the one who is starving. Paul began this letter establishing for us the bad news, that is, the indictment that that is brought against all of mankind by Almighty God Himself. And it has undoubtedly been a very difficult indictment for us to hear. It would be impossible to hear this charge laid out here in Romans and to walk away feeling as if you have something significant, something great, to offer to God in exchange for your salvation. In fact, I would tell you that if you do still think that you have something to offer Almighty God after what has been so clearly stated for us here in Romans, then there really is much more than just a good chance that you foolishly believe that you have nothing to be saved from. But I want you to understand that you did not come to that conclusion from this particular exposition of your condition given to you by the Apostle Paul in this letter. If we were to sort of boil this indictment against us, apart from the grace of God in Jesus Christ, if we were to sort of boil it down here, we could really restate it in three simple points. Three things that are true of us as human beings apart from the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And the first is this. We are all guilty of rebellion against the God who is, the God who reigns. And as a result of that rebellion, we have been condemned as those who are unarguably guilty under the law of God. We are guilty. We are rightly condemned by a holy God because of our sin. That's the first part of this charge. The second part is that as those who are guilty... We have been given over by God into the bondage of sin. We are slaves to obey it. It's our strongest inclination to sin continually. We live in absolute bondage to sin apart from the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And the third is that as those who are guilty, as those who are living in bondage to sin... We are awaiting the final visitation of Almighty God's justified wrath 
to be poured out upon us. When we will be forever removed from his gracious presence and according to the word of God cast into the fires of hell for all of eternity. And Paul has made that crystal clear to us that in light of this indictment, in light of its undeniable truth, our defense has nothing to say. Our mouths have been shut. We have no defense to offer on our own behalf. We simply receive it in stunned silence, knowing that it is the truth. Knowing that we have nothing to say for ourselves. Indeed, if God's revelation stopped here, we would be very correct in saying that we are truly those who are without hope. We are those who lack the necessary righteousness to be reconciled to a perfectly holy God. And as such, we can do nothing other than to anxiously await the final consummation of God's wrath. However, beloved, praise be to God that it doesn't end there. Paul says in verse 21 on the very heels of this indictment, But now, but now, The righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed. God himself has provided the righteousness that we lack, the righteousness that we need, the righteousness that we are incapable of ever attaining to in and through the law. And we are given that desperately needed righteousness from God through faith in Jesus Christ. To all and on all who believe. God has given us a way. Amen? In fact, Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ, he has revealed to us the way of salvation that has been promised since the moment of the fall. Jesus Christ is the seed of the woman who would come and crush the head of the serpent. He is the fulfillment of the promise made to Abraham. And from the very beginning, the way of reconciliation with God was to be found in Jesus Christ, the Lamb who would take away the sin of the world. And then in verse 24, which we looked at last week, we saw Paul give to us just a few words which are exceedingly rich in their meaning and which provide us with the rock-solid assurance that we must have in order to live with the confidence and the assurance that is so desperately needed by every single pilgrim who is steadily making his or her way home to glory. And those words were justification, grace, and redemption. We are told that we are declared perfectly justified in God's sight on account of Jesus Christ and are being cloaked in his perfect righteousness. That is, we are not made perfectly righteous, yet God, on account of the righteousness of Jesus Christ being imputed to us, our sin being imputed to him, he now declares us as those who had never sinned, and never had any sin, and who stand as if all the obedience accomplished by the Lord Jesus Christ were our own, as, he so wonderfully, as it's so wonderfully stated in question 60 of the Heidelberg Catechism. And you understand what we're saying. We do nothing to earn it. 
or to expect it from the hand of God. Paul tells us he gives it to us freely by his grace. That is to say that God bestows upon us his glorious favor, even in the face of our undeniable betrayal, our rebellion against his holy and perfect law. And beloved, that's what grace is. God gives us what we do not deserve. Though we are all deserving of his wrath, he gives us his mercy. And as we will see again this morning, he does it never for a moment compromising his justice. And then we see that word redemption. We are bought by another through the payment of an inestimable price. We are redeemed from our place as the slaves of sin, those who willingly sold ourselves into the bondage of sin, and we are made into the slaves of righteousness through Jesus Christ our Lord. All at the unfathomable cost of his own life. Beloved, it should fill us with hope and a very real and tangible joy every time we consider it. Our only response to this is, oh, what a glorious salvation we have been given by God in the person and work of Jesus Christ. It should lead us into doxology. Truths like this, praises should should well up in our hearts if we see this through the eyes of faith. Do you see that these words given to us by Paul here are the remedy of are the remedy to two of the three truths that Paul has said that are true of us apart from God's grace. We are condemned, and rightly so as sinners. We are guilty, and so Paul tells us of our justification in Jesus Christ. We live in bondage to sin. We are its slaves. It owns us. And Paul points us to this beautiful word, redemption. This morning we get to the word that is the answer to that third part of this charge against us. And it is the word that I really think brings together all of the righteousness of God being so manifested in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul has stated that we are those who are awaiting the final visitation of God's justified holy wrath to be poured out upon us because of our sin. And then in verse 25 and 26, Paul explains to us another word in answer to that. Propitiation. And again, we are left to rejoice in the amazing grace of Almighty God. So let's look now to the word of God together this morning and come to grips with this glorious term, propitiation. Hear now the word of our Lord. Paul says, beginning with verse 21. But now, the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood, through faith, to demonstrate His righteousness. Because in His forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed, to demonstrate at the present time 
his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This is the word of our Lord. May he always bless the reading of it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we're grateful this morning for the opportunity that we have to go to your word. We pray that you would open our ears and our eyes to the truth of the word this morning through the power of your spirit, and that we would be transformed by that word for your glory. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I've already mentioned to you this morning, this is our final look at this passage here in Romans chapter 3 this morning. And though it may seem as if four sermons on six verses is a bit much, or perhaps is at least a lot of information to take in, I would remind you that we are merely scratching the surface of this here again this morning. I hope to have whet your appetite for the precious truth of the Word of God and that you will spend some time on your own meditating on this particular truth, this passage on your own. And so we look now to the final two verses before us in this section, verses 25 and 26. And Paul gives to us here another one of those words that we absolutely must come to grips with if we are ever to fully understand our justification by faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, solely because of the grace of Almighty God alone. We see it there in verse 25, where Paul, speaking of Jesus Christ, says, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood. And so we need to ask ourselves, what does propitiation mean? Time will not allow for us to delve into the historical debate that has existed around this word this morning. Ultimately, what we need to know, what we need to see is that propitiation is a wrath-satisfying sacrifice. So Paul is continuing with this thought from verse 24. That we who are trusting in the person and the work of Jesus Christ by faith are being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood. Paul is stating that we are justified freely, that is, without any merit, any worth on our part, solely by God's grace, through the redemption that was purchased for us, through Jesus Christ being given as the wrath-satisfying sacrifice through his blood. And Beloved, though it may sound somewhat repetitive, I want to tell you it is critical that we understand this. This is a fundamental bedrock truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Though God gives to us our justification freely, it was certainly not without cost. It cost something. It cost Jesus Christ, the Son of God, The laying aside the glory that was his with the Father, it cost him a lifetime of suffering. It cost him a horrible and violent death upon the cross. It cost something. For Almighty God to remain perfectly just, sin could not simply just be passed over. It had to be punished 
to the full extent of the law. We know that the wages of sin are death. And so life had to be given, blood had to be offered. Not merely just any life or any blood. We need to understand it had to be qualified life and qualified blood. The life that had to be offered to fully atone for sin, to satisfy God's wrath against sin, had to be perfect in the eyes of the law. It had to be sinless. It had to be spotless according to the law of God. Therefore, it had to be divine. What was required to be a propitiation was nothing less than a divine blood sacrifice. And so Paul points us to the cross of Jesus Christ. In fact, he points us continually to his whole life and he says, it's only there. It's only in him that God's justified wrath could ever be truly satisfied. So we see here that this work the work of Jesus Christ in being sinless, the work of Jesus Christ upon upon the cross, willingly giving up his life, his blood, this work really was and indeed had to be the very purpose for which he came to the world. You understand what I'm saying? He came to die. And sadly... It is precisely here that so many make the deadly error of straying from this bedrock principle of the gospel. Jesus Christ did not come to this world in order to simply give us a good moral example to follow. He did not come to simply lay out for us a discernible pattern for us to live and experience the good life. He did not lay aside his glory, the glory that was his with the Father. He did not take on the flesh of of a man to merely show you how to have a successful, satisfying, and comfortable life. That's not Christianity. Paul does not at this critical moment in the explanation of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ hold up Jesus Christ as being sent to be the greatest teacher that's ever lived. Though there's at least a shred of truth in all of those things, like most error, Paul does not touch upon any of them at this crucial point. He tells us that the purpose for which he came was to die. To suffer and die. Not just to die, but to die for us. You understand? Jesus Christ was manifested. He was revealed to be a propitiation by his blood. He was sent to be the sacrifice to end all lesser sacrifice. And every sacrifice is lesser. He came to bear our sins upon the cross and to take the punishment that we have earned upon himself and thus settle forever our debt to the holy law of God. Beloved, when I say that this is essential 
for us to understand that it is foundational to the gospel? I mean that we must embrace this truth by faith in order to be justified by God. That's what we're talking about when we say we must trust Jesus Christ, His person, His work by faith. We must trust not only that Jesus Christ and Jesus alone was and is the only perfectly qualified sacrifice, but that He came to be that sacrifice for us because of our sin. Your sin and my sin. It's foundational to saving faith. And we must also see here that this is not at all a new way of salvation. Jesus did not come as the merciful one who was trying to just appease the the wrath of an angry, vindictive father. No, Paul emphasizes here even the father's role in all of this. Did you see that? Do you you notice it there? Look at what Paul says when he brings up Jesus Christ as the means of propitiation. He says, whom God set forth as propitiation by his blood. The Father displays the Son. The Father is credited as the author of salvation. We, We confess it in the Belgic Confession of Faith in Article 17. It's subtitled, The Recovery of Fallen Man. It says this, We believe that our most gracious God, in his admirable wisdom and goodness, seeing that man had thus thrown himself into physical and spiritual death and made himself wholly miserable, was pleased to seek and comfort him when he trembling fled from his presence, promising him that he would give his son who would be born of a woman to bruise the head of the serpent and to make him blessed. Beloved, it ought to cause us to rejoice to see it. Jesus was not upon the cross trying to get the Father somehow involved in our salvation. He was upon the cross because the Father has been involved in our salvation from the beginning. He first loved us. So much so that he was willing not to spare his son. Beloved, this is what we receive by faith. We take this word for truth and then we heartily trust in this work. It's not our own. This is the truth that we are confessing in the Heidelberg Catechism in that first wonderful question and answer. One that we're all familiar with. It serves as a sort of outline for the entire catechism and it gets to the very heart of the gospel that Paul has been laboring to explain here in Romans. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I, with body and soul, both in life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who with his precious blood has fully satisfied for all my sins and redeemed me from all the power of the devil and so preserves me that without the will of my Father in heaven, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, that all things must work together for my salvation. Wherefore, by His Holy Spirit, He also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live unto Him. Beloved, we see in the wonderful good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ 
the righteous, that the righteousness and the justice of Almighty God are fully dealt with in the death of Jesus Christ. Do you understand why that's so important for you and I to see? That God has proved to be perfectly just in the gospel? Let's begin to answer that by looking at how it is that God has proved just in the death of Jesus Christ. I want you to think for a moment about what Paul means here in these two verses, in 25 and 26. What does he mean when he says that God set forth Jesus as a propitiation through his blood, embraced by faith, to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. To demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he may be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. What does Paul mean? Well, I think there's only one way to see that that makes any sense of this statement. I want you to think about something for a moment. I'm going to make a statement that I think will help bring some of this into the light, into the light. but it may strike you as odd. But it's this. The entire Old Testament sacrificial system calls into question the justice of God. If there was not a perfectly fitted divine sacrifice to be fully revealed at the appointed time all along from the very beginning. Do you understand why I would say that? If the blood of bulls and goats alone were ever deemed sufficient by God to completely satisfy his holy wrath against sin, then one could rightly call into question his justice. Why? Well, quite frankly, because it is God's word that says that the blood of bulls and goats could never be entirely sufficient to satisfy God's justified wrath against our sin. We spent a lot of time on that when we look together at the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. There had to be more to it. The constant, continual nature of the sacrifices themselves pointed to the same truth. They were ongoing again and again and again. Again, Hebrews 10 tells us, beginning in verse 1, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never, with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually, year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then would they have not ceased to be offered For the worshippers, once purified, would have no more consciousness of sins. And so you ask, then why did they do them at all? Why did God institute this bloodthirsty system through Moses? And again, Hebrews 10, verse 3, answers that question. But in those sacrifices... 
There is a reminder of sins every year. There is a reminder of man's most desperate need. Beloved, I could go on and on here in Hebrews 10. I spent enough time in Hebrews. I know nobody wants me to do that again. But why bring it up here again in Romans? We cannot look at the Old Testament and think that the blood of bulls and goats were ever sufficient to be propitiation. Animal sacrifices could never completely remove the wrath of God against sin. They served to remind the people of the awful nature of sin. The horrific consequences of sin. The wages of sin. They pointed to the blood of another that was still yet to come. The blood of a divine sacrifice that would be offered one day and would truly satisfy the wrath of God on behalf of his penitent ones forever. The ones who had through the very spirit of God been given eyes to see and the faith to see Jesus Christ in all of his glory. It's the propitiation offered in Jesus Christ that demonstrates and vindicates the justice of God in ever providing the sacrificial system at all. By providing the sacrifice that would ultimately point, that, that they all ultimately pointed the people towards. It was Jesus Christ that's always been anticipated in the ritual. You understand, the work of the priest was tiresome, was exhausting. He offered the blood of animals again and again and again. But when Christ came in his fullness, when he was manifest, we are told that Jesus Christ as our great high priest then sat down at the right hand of God. The work was done. The fullness had come. The offering had been made. The shadows disintegrated in the presence of the light that had cast them in the first place. And so Paul says that in Jesus Christ, in his culmination in time, his being offered as the propitiation, God himself is found to be perfectly just, and he always has been. Yes, the gospel shows to us the mercy of God. It certainly shows to us the love of God. Beloved, what is truly amazing is that it shows us those things and never diminishes for even a moment His justice, His righteousness. The gospel shows us His righteousness and that He never just turns a blind eye to sin. He never sweeps it under the rug. He never says, oh, let's just forget about that. Let's start over. He deals with it completely and entirely in the death of His Son. We see in the gospel God's past mercy to His people, even to the nations, and that He never simply wiped them off from the face of the earth entirely. His mercy has always been rooted in Jesus Christ. Do you understand? 
This doctrine of justification, as it's explained to us by the Apostle Paul, shows us that the mercy of God from the very beginning has always been rooted in his justice. His mercy has never been in doubt. But it's only in the revelation of Jesus Christ in the gospel that God has proved to be merciful and just at the same time. His justice and his mercy meet at the cross of Jesus Christ and they embrace one another. And Paul rightly says, oh, the glory. He holds it up as being one of the things about the gospel that so motivates him to sing it out from the rooftops. In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. God has proved to be just, and as just, he alone then is qualified to be our justifier. His being just makes your justification and my justification certain. Verse 26, to demonstrate that at the present time, his righteousness, that he may be just in the justifier, of the one who has faith in Jesus. It's only in the gospel that neither his mercy nor his justice is in any way compromised. In fact, Paul says, they're not only not compromised in the gospel, but they are also exalted. They are magnified. God is merciful to rebellious, stiff-necked sinners, sinners who are bound for hell, and rightly so, sinners just like you and just like me. And his justice is never for a moment compromised in that forgiveness. He does it through the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of his son. And he has willed it so from the very beginning. And in so bringing it to its full culmination in the revelation of Jesus Christ, he brings everything together perfectly. Beloved, it's the glory of the gospel. This is the Christ that Almighty God has revealed to us through his word. Any other Christ, any other Jesus than this one, is an idol of your own vain imagination. And any other Jesus simply fails to satisfy the perfect law of Almighty God. It fails to bring any unity to God's word. And it fails to satisfy the wrath of God that we know that our sin has earned. Why would we ever look anywhere else? How could we ever improve upon this gospel? What could we ever add to it to make it any more glorious, any more wonderful than it already is? Beloved, it's here that we see where we are to flee with our sin with absolute confidence. It's here and here alone that we are given the assurance that everything that we could need in life and in death has been given to us in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's only here that we see the death of self and the resurrection of life in Jesus Christ. You cannot have life without death. Beloved, do you see why it is that we can never just sort of move on from this? The gospel is not that message that you heard 30 years ago in the rebellion of your youth and then moved on to bigger and better things for the kingdom of God. Nonsense. 
The gospel is the only reason you could have ever, ever have to live a life of thankfulness before the God, before Almighty God, all the days that He chooses to bless you with. It's what we so joyfully proclaim in the, in the, the hymns that we sing in this church. One that always stands out to me, I think, all the time about when I'm, when I'm reminding myself of the wonderful truth of the gospel so that I can deal with my own sin is Rock of Ages. Have you ever paid attention to the words of that amazing hymn? I want you to think of the words of that hymn in light of what Paul is telling you here. Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy riven side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Cleanse me from its guilt and its power. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked, I come to thee for dress. Helpless, I look to thee for grace. Foul, I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. Beloved, I want to ask you this morning, is this, is this the Jesus that you worship? Is this the Jesus that shapes your life? Because it's only this Jesus that offers you rest. It's only here that you can find peace It's only here that you are given joy inexpressible. It's only here that a perfectly proven, just, and righteous God justifies you, declares you to be righteous, and covers you in the perfection of His Son. His Son, who alone is the rock of ages where you may hide because He was given for that very purpose. Who can fathom the love of Almighty God and the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ? We may not fully measure its depths in this life. But beloved, I promise you, we have been given more than enough to live confidently, joyfully, and gratefully for His glory every single day of our lives, regardless of what the Lord and His providence brings. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you.